0: is also concerned about the middle east where he spent nine months trying to secure peace between the israelis and palestinians we're
1: here this afternoon to change the course of history after decades of division and conflict we mark the dawn of a new middle east thanks to the great courage of the leaders of these three countries we take a major stride toward a future in which people of all faiths and backgrounds live together in peace and prosperity.
0: He said the president-elect's campaign pledge to move the U.S. Embassy to the disputed city of Jerusalem would inflame the Arab world.
1: In a few moments, these visionary leaders will sign the first two peace deals between Israel and the Arab state in more than a quarter
2: century. You'd have an explosion, an explosion, an explosion, an absolute explosion in the region.
3: an explosion of peace, maybe John Kerry was talking about there. (laughs) The worst secretary of state ever in the history of my life. And that's, and Hillary Clinton, by the way, has been alive since I've been alive. So that just tells you where uh, John Kerry falls.
4: Oh, see, I would, I would have picked uh, Hillary over, over uh, Kerry, but you know, I can see your point.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's almost unbelievable that I could say that, but my estimation, and I believe in many others, um he stacks up as the worst well take take that take those what i just played for example i mean how clueless can this guy be well you know instead of instead of saying bad on them let me just say good on on this president as he continues to do things and put things in place that were well almost unimaginable you know since um the early 2000s, and even in the last five to 10 years, unimaginable.
4: I think you could even go further back than that. I mean, everybody was saying, oh, we've got to do peace in the middle. I re- this, has been, this has been an issue since we've been alive, and no one's been able to pull it off. And somehow, this guy with no political experience walks in there and says, you know what?
3: Let me show you how this is done. Yeah, well, here's what he says. He says that, yes. But what he says is he stands back and looks at John Kerry, at Hillary Clinton, at the Obama administration, at the Clinton uh, deals. He sits back and says, nah, you know, this ain't working. Coming in the front door, it's not working. The way these guys negotiate, not working. Right. Like he has on so many other things. Sat back, watched, listened, and said, nah, I'm not coming in the front door. We're going to do something different. And that has allowed him to, again, put things in place that were unimaginable. Um, and you can go down the line. You can look at what he's done on energy. Energy independence. Whoever thought in the last 20 years that we would be able to say, we don't need any other country for anything with... Um, to give us anything, we're completely energy independent at this point with our own resources here in the country and what he's done. And yet he gets attacked for it. What, we, what did we hear from Joe Biden? Oh, climate change. Ah, oh, We need to <laughs> stop doing this, stop fracking, stop doing so we can go bankrupt and uh, put up uh, I mean, it's just crazy. He gets attacked on these things like that. But again, who would have thought even 10 years ago, could you have thought we wouldn't have needed oil from any place if we didn't want it? We wouldn't need, I mean, we wouldn't, who would have thought this stuff?
4: No, this, that, th- that is like crazy talk. W- when you think about it, it's like, well, the oil comes from the Middle East. We've been conditioned. We have to rely on the Middle East. And that's why it was so important. And Iran's going to be a problem. And we've got the Saudis and the, now Venezuela with the oil. Everybody had oil but us.
3: Turns out we, 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 we have a ton. We, um, we just celebrated the anniversary of 9-11. You think about 9-11, 2001. You think about ISIS. You think about all the things we saw from 2001 on. Uh, even as up to into the Obama administration, ISIS running rampant. Raping and pillaging across the, um, the Middle East. How many executions we saw in the most brutal way in, on the news. Think about how many, how many things we saw of ISIS running crazy all over the world. Well, where are they today? They're running. They're, o- they're almost non-existent. <laughs> the ones that are left, are running now, running for their lives. They've gone from brutalizing people, raping and pillaging and killing and beheading, to uh, almost being non-existent. Again, something that was probably unimaginable in the early 2000s. And When you see today what he's put in place, you look at Iran, and you listen to what was said today, Iran is on their heels right now like they have never been before. And you think about back to just when the guy who wants to be president now was, well, the dumbest vice president ever and the Iran deal. And what happened and how that all came to be, besides Obama violating the – the treaty clause of the constitution and giving them $1.8 billion. And it's however much in cash flying it in there in the middle of the night. Congress never approved any of it. The whole, the whole deal was a disaster. And And what did we hear? No, you can't get out of it. What did he hear from everybody? Even Republicans. That was on both sides of the aisle that Obama was able to pull that off by the way. For what? I'm still not sure. I guess it was to buy time. I have no idea. I think I asked John Solomon. He didn't know either. Um, I don't hear Rick's mic because the last couple of times he's talked. Ah. Oh, there you are. You got you to speak up there, son. Uh, break the <laughs> gate. Um, but you look at the... Uh, what did he do? The president came in and said, well, there's a lot of people that are all... Biden, all in on this. Pelosi was all in on the Iran deal. The Democrats, all in on it. People like um, that doofus in Massachusetts, Marky Markley, Ed Markley, Senator. He he's all in. They were all all in for it, and thank God Trump was all out and it, said, "I don't think so."
4: Yeah, and that's not even counting the side deals that we heard about, but well, we never found out any details on. Several side deals that uh, you know, basically exchanging money for favors and circumventing circumventing the security of the deal.
3: Russia was all in on it, obviously. China, of course, all in on it. The Democrats, all in on it. Joe Biden, all in on it. Obama, all in on it. All of them, all in on it. Oh my God, the the Iran deal. is going to save the world. And Trump said, yeah, I'm all out. I'm all in for being all out of it and ripped it up. And Joe Biden has as much stated, if he wins, he'll reinstate it. Yeah. And will literally, (laughs) literally ruin everything that has been accomplished here in 29 days with more to come. If you listen to the president and uh, Benjamin Netanyahu today and other leaders, more to come. Once the UAE said we're in, everybody said, whew, pressure's off. We don't have to be first. Let's jump on board. And Saudi Arabia, which is being talked about would be, I read a good article today that I have here. It's very long and very deep into the, you know, in the weeds to understand. But basically saying the UAE wouldn't have made a move, bah- Bahrain wouldn't have made a move unless Saudi, Arab- Saudi Arabia under the, under the covers is already on board. Now, I guess we'll see if that's true or not. But um,
4: yeah, they're all kind of, you know, kind of linked where you don't really see it, but they have their, you know, they have their ways of doing things that is, you know, within their culture, w- within the, in the way they do things, you know, that is, it's understood. And certain, certain, you know, members of the pack, so to speak, it's like, this person's going first. Like you said, they don't want to be first. This guy has to be first. Then we'll follow. That's what's happening.
3: Um, the president... Really, when you look at, again, again, look at what he's done in foreign policy, which he gets very little credit for. Of course, the media, the, media, the way, put up that picture of CNN's Chiron, G, the picture I gave you, uh, the only picture I gave you. Look, look at this. Look at, the, look at the Chiron. Trump holds White House event with large crowd, little social distancing. This is the way they covered this historic day. That's their lower third, or their whatever you want to call it. That's their Chiron on television during this agreement. That's what they. Uh, that's how they dealt with it.
4: Not the actual news. Not the deal. Not the peace. Not not the historic nature of it. Oh, some people are are gathering without
3: masks. So it's too big. Everybody's going to die from a germ. Right, no, no reporting on the actual deal. No. And again, to go back to what he's done overseas, the promises he's followed through and when it comes to Israel. That's why Benjamin Netanyahu, Netanyahu talks about the president the way he does. Moves the embassy to Jerusalem. We heard in the interview I played with you of Dr. Gina Loudon when she talked to Governor Huckabee the other day. The pressure he was under, recognizing Jerusalem as the capital, moving the embassy to the capital, the pressure he was under not to do that, from all over. And what did he say? Yeah. <laughs> kind of what he said today. I, there was a moment in the, um, I believe in the Oval Office when the press was in there. He was talking about, I believe he was talking about the Palestinians at the time. And he was saying, well, we give him seven, $700 million. Why are we doing that or something? And, then, and, and he said, well, everybody, you know, everybody thinks that's okay. And he said, well, guess what? I don't think it's okay. And uh, that's going to end. And again, this is why he's so viciously attacked day after day. The Golan Heights, look at what he did with that. The peace deals that he's now brokered in the region, more to come. He's continually attacked for keeping his promises. And really, you know what it is. He's continually attacked because he has a backbone. That's really what it is.
4: Yeah, usually Republicans pack up, they go home. As soon as it gets a little too hot, oh, okay, you know, uh, uh," they they walk back whatever statements, they leave office, whatever it takes to get the heat off of them. Instead, this guy's like, he's ripping his shoes off saying, okay, load up more coals, I'm going to keep walking across this stuff.
3: And most importantly, like I said, he has Iran on their heels in a way that they probably have never been before feeling the pressure of what's going on around them and thinking uh, pretty soon the table's going to be full as more and more of the players in the region continue on this path that the president has set in motion here. So we'll spend a lot of time on this deal today. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Pastor Daryl Scott, nothing to lose, is out and available today and he'll be on at 8.30 and I've got lots to talk to Pastor Scott about. Uh, And I encourage you to go with the book. I started reading it last night. And the first chapter, the first line, just grabs you. First line of the book. (laughs) I was like, because it was one of my questions. And I don't want to give too much away, but it was one of my questions. How did you meet the president? First line of the book. will set the tone for the rest of it. And I haven't gotten through all of it, but I've gotten through some of it. So we'll talk to uh, Pastor Scott about that. Lots to do live from Studio 6B. Glad you're in here, America's Voice, on a Tuesday night.
1: We're here this afternoon to change the course of history. After decades of division and conflict, we mark the dawn of a new Middle East, Together, these agreements will serve as the foundation for a comprehensive peace across the entire region, something which nobody thought was possible. For generations, the people of the Middle East have been held back by old conflicts, hostilities. These agreements prove that the nations of the region are breaking free from the failed approaches of the past. Today's signing sets history on a new course Today, the world sees that they're choosing cooperation over conflict, friendship over enmity, prosperity over poverty, and hope over despair. They are choosing a future in which Arabs and Israelis, Muslims, Jews, and Christians can live together, pray together, and dream together side by side in harmony, community, and peace. Once again, let me congratulate the people of Israel The people of the United Arab Emirates and the people of the Kingdom of Bahrain, God bless you all. This is an incredible day for the world.
3: All right, live from Studio 6B on a Tuesday night on America's Voice, Dish Network, Channel 219, Pluto TV, Channel 240, and of course all your apps, the America's Voice app. I believe America's Voice rolled out a new uh, website today and an updated app, so make sure you download the new app. In the App Store, in the Google Play Store, wherever you are, make sure you download the app because you can watch all the old shows there. Plus, you can watch all the other shows on America's Voice. Great stuff to come on America's Voice. New shows coming. And um, Pastor Daryl Scott's going to join us at the bottom of the hour. His new book is right here in front of me. It's called Nothing to Lose, Unlikely Allies in the Struggle for a Better Black America. And it's available, I believe, today so you can go to amazon right now and order it it's available right now and he's coming up at the uh bottom of the hour and lots of stuff to talk to uh pastor scott about so let's do some news here all right uh 19 past the hour live from studio 6b with uh rick uh, delgado as paul's off tonight What's going on, pal?
4: Well, uh, a couple different things. Of course, you touched on the the big announcement happening today at the White House with the UAE and Bahrain and and the dawn of a new Middle East, according to the president, as he declared that on the South Lawn. Uh, Over on the other side, well, things have been getting a little bit interesting. I don't know if you caught this or not, um, but Biden running mate uh, Kamala Harris has mistakenly referred to her... I guess the the
3: administration as the Harris administration you are you are saying that this is a um, this is this is a mistake. You're saying
4: uh, could, is that what I'm hearing? It could be a mistake. It could be uh, you know maybe she's she's prophesizing a little bit. But Democratic vice presidential nominee Senator Kamala Harris' recent public comments about a Harris administration is playing into speculation that she would promptly take over for presidential nominee Joe Biden if they win in November.
3: Let's go crazy town here, since Rick's brought it up. Uh, episode, one, I think, 113G, it is episode 113, uh, Crazy Town. Not Kamala's not the only one to let the old cat out of the bag. Roll it.
0: A Harris administration together with Joe Biden. Harris-Biden administration is going to relaunch that effort and keep pushing. A Harris
5: administration together
0: with Joe Biden. Harris-Biden administration is going to relaunch that effort.
5: (laughs) So there you go.
3: So the cat's out of the bag. Um, It's what we all knew anyways. It's a Harris administration, and the old fart can come along if he wants to. (laughs) (laughs) that's basically what it is wow. if he can find his way out of the corn right uh,
4: uh, uh, and and it's amazing that he's saying it as well you know what i mean i mean i i, uh, I actually you know what i don't <laughs> yes. even
3: know because Wheat. thank you g no one get in trouble again <laughs> for calling it corn everybody will be on me Yeah, you're not from the country obviously they kid. <laughs> yes okay fine weep
4: but, but, I mean, in terms of him saying it, I, I, I'm not that surprised because it's him. It's Joe Biden. This is what he does. He always screws up everything. But she's actually saying a Harris administration, speaking about herself in the third person and saying with Joe Biden.
3: Like he's, like he's riding the sidecar. Well, yeah. Like you I know? said, it's a Harris administration. And the old fart can come along if he wants to. And that's what we've talked about on this show forever. You know, when we, um, when we thought Biden was going to be the one, we immediately thought that, um, you know, HRC, the sore right. loser, was going to weasel her way in to being vice president because she figured, well, if this guy wins, all I got to do is grab, my, uh, grab my, my pillow from Mike Lindell and stuff it over his face. And then I'm finally in to where I wanted to be four years ago before I got my ass kicked. Yeah. So now that didn't happen, but now you have Kamala Harris, who really, number one, hasn't even been out there. Number two, whose record as a DA and the Attorney General has gotten no scrutiny that it should be getting, no questions about her to her from the media, who's too busy worrying about what breakfast cereal Joe Biden likes most, has asked no questions of her. And, um, so the truth comes out, you know, that what they say, you know, the truth comes out when you're kind of not really thinking about it and just talking, It's it's a Harris administration, And the old guy can come along if he wants to. That's basically what the slogan should be. Yeah,
4: And the Trump campaign and his supporters since the announcement last month of Harris as the party's vice presidential candidate have called Biden a Trojan horse for the radical left, which Harris in their estimation represents. And you know what's amazing about this? It's it's almost like a different version of the Democratic uh, primary season in 2016, because basically back then they told their voters, you know what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, Bernie's fine, but you're not going to get him. Here's who your here's who your candidate is going to be. In this instance, it's kind of the same way. They just waited a little bit longer until they shoved someone down their voters' throat who not even who who wasn't even in the top 5, let alone the top 10, didn't make it through Iowa. But they're they're elevating her, basically telling their uh their voters that all that stuff you did in the primaries, everything you saw, Doesn't count. Don't worry about it. We've picked who we want in that office and you're going to vote for them no matter what. Whether you like it or not, this is this is this is who you're going to vote for.
3: Well, I've said all along they're playing rope a dope. The Biden campaign is with the voters anyways, because, I mean, they're saying in in one respect uh, to the Bernie Sanders people, they're saying, no, 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 don't worry about uh, Joe. Joe's going to be way over there the 110 page manifesto that they signed don't, don't didn't you see we're on board with you guys we're ready to ruin the country in every way possible and then they're saying to white suburban mothers no 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 joe's not over there with uh, crazy bernie the old red he's right here you know center center left joe that he's always been the old moderate and then they're saying to um the rest of the country don't worry joe's fine And, um, you know, he's the guy you always known with the uh, first black president for eight years, the vice president. He hasn't uh, he's not out. He's not an empty suit. Don't worry. So they're playing rope a dope with this guy everywhere they can and with her.
4: And with their with with the Democrats who are voting, who 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 maybe maybe, you know, the, the 200 or 300 people that support Joe Biden. Maybe they want him to be president. You know, they don't want Kamala Harris. She didn't. She didn't get a. She she didn't get an electoral vote. She didn't. She didn't win a primary. She didn't even place. She was out before the the real. You know, the real stuff started to happen. The primary uh, process, the caucus. She didn't make it to Iowa. Oh
3: yeah. And I think she was about. She was about fifteen percent, and then she from there quickly went to about skim milk. Yeah. Which is about two percent, and uh, then she was gone, like you said. So.
4: So now they basically told their, their uh, voting base, this is who you're going to vote for. Shut up and eat it.
3: Right, because Barack Obama, by the way, could have come out for Kamala Harris if she was such a transformi- uh, transformational figure that we're now told. He could have come out for her d- before Iowa. Um, all these people who tell us now that she's the transformational figure of our time well, why was she polling again? It's skim milk, then, if that's if that's uh, the case. None of you supported her. It was it was her party that rejected her? <laughs> I know. wasn't wasn't you know anyone else. So, Pastor Daryl Scott's coming up. His new book is available. We'll talk about it and a lot of other things live from Studio Six B on a Tuesday. Glad you're in. Social media, hang with us.
0: He went. He went. He became president. I didn't go, and I'm still vice president. And uh, and in addition to that, uh, in addition to that, we have to uh, make sure that we uh, we are in a position that we are. Think about it. Everybody is known from day one. How smart, how bright Hillary is. Everybody knows how tough she is. You know, the rapidly rising uh, um, uh, in with, uh, with, uh, I don't know. uh, So be successful. I sincerely hope some of you become millionaires and billionaires. I mean that. But engage. Um, You know, there's a, uh, during World War uh, you know, where Roosevelt came up with a thing uh, that uh, you know, was totally different than a than the, the it's called he called it the you know,
3: Bye from Studio 6B on a Tuesday night on America's Voice. Dish Network, Channel 219, Pluto TV, Channel 240. Please welcome to the show the author of the brand new book, Nothing to Lose, Unlikely Allies in the Struggle for a Better Black America, Pastor Daryl Scott. Pastor Scott, how are you? Doing great. How about yourself? Very good. Thank you very much for coming back on this show. Um, First time you were on, of course, was the day that Joe Biden told you that if you didn't know if you were going to vote for him, that you ain't black and we had a panel and Pastor Scott was nice enough to join us that night. Um, not much has changed with Joe Biden since that night. What do you think?
6: Yeah, I mean, I'm still not black. <laughs> and um, <laughs> Joe's still not smart. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. And um, I wanna, I'll talk to you about Joe Biden, but let's talk about the book. I know it's out today. And, you know, one of my questions was going to be about your meeting, uh, first meeting with the president, but I opened chapter one and here's what it says, quote, what makes you think black people will vote for you? Um, Word on the street is you're a racist. Those were my first words to Donald J. Trump. Tell me about that meeting.
6: I was invited to, you know, Paula White and I have been friends for a very long time, decades actually. Uh, We go back to the 90s, early to mid-90s, we've been friends, and I knew that Paula had a unit in Trump Tower. So one evening she called me and asked if my wife and I meet her in Trump Tower. She wanted to discuss something with us. I thought we were going to her unit. When we got there, Paula met us outside and took us on the office section and took us up to the conference room, and I was like, wow, pretty impressive. She's showing off. She's got access to the conference room. And... We were there and there were several other, uh, well, not many, but eight or nine of us total of, other of some pretty name brand preachers in America right now. The only reason I don't give their names is because they've never divulged the meeting and I don't want to be the one that has a reporter's camera stuck in their face asking them where they're there that day. But we were there talking and I knew most of them and Donald Trump walks in and I thought he was going to walk in just to say hello to Paula and wave at us. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Donald Trump comes in. And he, he stood there and he um, introduced himself as if we didn't know who he was. And then he said, I asked Paula to ask some of her friends here that she thinks is in contact or in touch with God, because I'm considering running for president in 2012. And I need you guys to pray on me that God gives me the wisdom to make the right decision as to whether or not I run. And so, wow, you know, we were pretty taken aback, but he bowed his head and we all got up. We prayed on him, prayed with him. Nobody got their cell phones out and recorded it. You know, people weren't as active on the Internet in 2011 as they are now. We didn't make a social media spectacle out of it. It was a private moment with a guy receiving prayer. And it was pretty impressive. And, you know, I thought about it after and I said to myself, I think God spoke to Donald Trump and he said, hey, Donald, don't run in 2012, run in 2016. And I got you. (laughs) (laughs)
3: now when he said he was thinking about running in uh 2012 obviously would have been uh against barack obama at the time yeah well i mean we had had now four years of an obama administration at that point uh you know he ran on hope and change so we were four years in did you give him any advice or did you have any thoughts about that at the time
6: Well, I wasn't an Obama fan. I talk about in my book, you know, actually in 2006, Obama visited my church and he and I spent some time together and I was less than impressed with the guy. In fact, I didn't like him uh, because he's not a people, you know, the public Obama and the private Obama, they're they're two different, two different animals right there. You know, Donald Trump really with him, what you see is what you get. But Obama's not like that. He can be charming and and gregarious in public, but in private, he's obnoxious and he's uh I don't want to call him a two syllable word right here, but he is that. And so I wasn't enamored with Obama anyway, after talking to President Trump and listening to him and after hearing his thoughts on Supreme Court judges, a lot of the same things he said in 2016, he said back then in 2011. And he told me then, he said, I really believe that unemployment, underemployment, um, distressed living conditions, depressed living conditions and lack of quality education leads to the overall or contributes to the overall disparity that the black community experiences and that if we could improve that, we could improve the overall condition of the community. And he had my ear and I listened and I looked him in his eyes and we talked. And I liked him. I liked his personality. He was very hospitable, very gregarious, very engaging, very charming. And I leaned over to my wife and I said, I like this guy. He reminds me of me.
4: Yeah.
6: And I liked him, and the more we talked, I mean, he sat down and we talked for four or five hours. And we had just a great, wonderful time. And afterwards, he and I shook hands, and we exchanged uh, contact information. And I went away pretty impressed, and I told myself, if this guy runs for president, I think I'm going to back him. And that was 2011. A couple of weeks later, they contacted me and told me that he had decided not to run. I was a little bit disappointed because I was pretty enthused about his potential candidacy. I mean the guy was he was he was on point in that meeting and I was very, very impressed. And um but over the years we stayed in touch. Michael Korn and I became friends and and we stayed in touch over the years. And in 2015, when they called me, Michael Cohen did. He said, turn on the television. And I turned on the television, and Trump was coming down the elevator. He said, are you in? I said, I'm in. And so it's been it's been on that way ever since. Yeah. So
3: on the back of your book, let's get into a couple of things here. The back of your book says um, – This demolishes entrenched stereotypes and political boundaries. So let's talk about some of those. Because, you know, I've had Walter E. Williams on the show, the brilliant Walter E. Williams. And we've talked about the black communities and what Trump has done. And some of these one-party states and cities, Democratic, iron-fisted, top-down liberal um, policies that have taken over some of these places forever. And I can remember when President Trump said in a speech, what do you have to lose? And, of course... He got vilified, as he does for most things. But when he said that at the time, and now looking back at what he's done, talk to me about, number one, what those entrenched stereotypes were and what are the political boundaries that, are, that he has helped to tear down.
6: Well, first of all, when Barack Obama was elected president, there was an idea or a notion in the black community that a quote-unquote black utopia would de- descend upon America and that blacks would finally uh have would have finally arrived in the prototypical or stereotypical promised land that all of a sudden you know we can move to the front of the bus we can assume leadership positions in this society that when we've got a black president now and everything's going to be black from now on and they thought that you know this black president would undo the negative adversarial conditions that were existing in the black community. And once he got in, after four years, I think the black community realized that it was just more of the same. You know, I always ask this question to people that I debate with. I say, name me one thing that Barack Obama did specifically for the black community. And I always win the argument when I uh, ask that question. And so we had a number of stereotypes. And the thing that I realized also is this. The Democratic Party did not give the black community one intellectual reason to not vote for Donald Trump. They gave us emotional reasons. They gave the Hispanic community emotional reasons. They gave the the, uh, women in America emotional reasons. Oh, he hates you blacks. Don't vote for him. He hates Latinos. Don't vote for him. He's a misogynist and a sexist. So females, you shouldn't vote for him. Now, white men, they gave intellectual reasons. They talked about the economy. They talked about foreign and domestic policy. But as far as the black community, They insulted us by playing on our emotions, and to be quite honest, a number of us fell for it hook, line, and sinker. There was a fear over black America that if this guy gets in, we're going to be shackled and we're going to be shipped back to Africa. You know, I was at the gas station one time and a guy came up to me in the gas station and he said, he, he pulled up next to me in the car and rolled down his window and said, well, you know, if Donald Trump gets elected, we're all going back to Africa. And I, I couldn't do anything but shake my head and laugh when he said it, because, you know, just the idea of that, what are they going to do? It's going to be some big announcement to say all black people got to line up at the docks or something, and we're all going to be put on a boat and dropped off where? But this was the notion that they, they forced it upon us as a people. They created this nightmare scenario of Donald Trump being the, the, the epitome of the Ku Klux Klan, being the boogeyman, the oppressor of the blacks, and it is proven to be any and everything but that. He came in and began hitting home run after home run after home run, criminal justice reform prison reform, urban revitalization, opportunity zones, historic levels of funding for HBCUs, historic low levels of unemployment. He's done a number of ceremonial things for the black community. He named Martin Luther King's birthplace a national monument. He pardoned heavyweight boxer Jack Johnson. He's let several African Americans who are overly uh, sentenced, he let them out of prison. He's more than exceeded Whatever low expectations the black community have for him, he shattered that. He's exceeded expectations and he's given us a sense of optimism that tells us in the black community that if he's done that much so far in that little time with all of the opposition that he's experienced, just think what he would do going forward without that level of opposition, without these sham hearings and these sham investigations and, and all of this fake news. Just think what he will do if if we take the cuffs off of him so to speak. Yeah. So he's done a, he's done he's 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 done a phenomenal job and he's made my life easier because the naysayers and detractors have been silenced.
3: Yeah. I got about a minute here left. So I saw you last night on with uh, Candace Owens on Sean's show. Um, and there's been a lot of debate and speculation about I think the president grabbed, I think he had 8% of the African American vote in 16. I heard Candace say that she thinks it's going to be over 20. We, I've heard talk to people who think it'll be higher than that. Where right now with the message getting out there, your message, the president's message, the campaign hitting the ground, where do you think that number falls uh, legitimately right now?
6: Well, first of all, we won 8% of the vote in 2016, and the base is solid, and so we had nowhere to go from there, but uh, I'm predicting, I'm I'm optimistically predicting we'll get about 25% of the black vote because there's a large segment of the black community because of this cancel culture that is prevalent in America today. They don't want to argue. They don't want their businesses boycotted. They don't want to, 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 to fall out with friends and neighbors. But when they get in that booth. They're going to vote for Donald Trump. You know, uh, I, I happen to know myself of a groundswell of support in the inner cities. In the inner cities of America, they they've even given him a nickname. They either call him Uncle T or T Dog. They're calling him that. So yeah. there's this silent segment of black americans and i've coined the term for them in 2016 i'm going to reintroduce the term again tonight i'll call them the NCOG negroes <laughs> <laughs> well the book is nothing to the lose NCOG negroes are going to show up
3: unlikely allies in the struggle for a better black america pastor daryl scott the book is out today go to amazon we'll link to it on our social media it is available today you can order it pastor daryl scott thank you so much for giving us a few moments tonight
6: Thank you for having me. God bless you.
3: You too as well. Live from Studio 6B. We're back right after this. 6 p.m. on a tuesday night on america's voice dish network channel 219 pluto tv channel 240 we just had the pleasure of speaking with pastor daryl scott here on this show his new book nothing to lose is out today and available right now at amazon we'll link to it on our social sites go order it there's a lot in there so it looks like an easy read too i read a little bit last night first chapter was great it'll grab you right from the start lots of great information in there if you support the president you want to know some of the backstory there Um, It's great. So go pick that up. Uh, let's do some sports here. Rick Amorati's
5: here. What's going on, pal? Hey, Big D. Well, NHL Eastern Conference Finals Game Five. New York Islanders looking to stave off elimination. They lead one nothing on a Ryan Pollock power play goal at 15:41 in the first, and uh, they're trying to beat Tampa tonight. They lo- they trail the series three to one, whereas Tampa's looking to close them out in Game Five. And the winner of that Stanley Cup uh, will be in the Stanley Cup Finals. Will face the uh, Dallas Stars, who defeated the Golden uh, Vegas Knights last night, okay. uh, three to two in OT. All right uh, NBA playoffs Eastern Conference Finals game one uh, Boston Celtics right now up by 10 92 82 uh, just under eight to go in the first, uh, in the uh, first game and uh, Jason Tatum scored 25 points and leads all scores so eight minutes to go uh, in the in the game actually. Um, And a story I got from Rick D who sent it to me like 7.30 this morning. I guess he was excited. Uh, (laughs) Mike Tyson's return to boxing in November is uh, supposed to be an exhibition match, but apparently uh, his opponent Roy Jones thinks otherwise as he's worried he may have made a mistake. Uh, Roy Jones Jr. on Mike Tyson's exhibition match. I made a mistake going in with him. Tyson is still one of the strongest, most explosive people who ever touched a boxing ring, Jones told Sky Sports over the weekend. His apprehension follows remarks Tyson made last month where he called the match a search and destroy.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So so much for an exhibition. Might be problematic for Roy Jones. But here's the thing that Mr. Jones should remember. He's going to be explosive for about 12 seconds, and then he's going to be winded. (laughs) He's like like 60 years old, so I don't think the explosiveness is going to is going to last like it was when he was 20 years old. Yeah. But I, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. It maybe knocks him into next week. I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't,
4: you know what somebody pointed out, too, I was reading some more about this matchup, is that um, Roy Jones had this stellar career, right? Sure. Like, he, he the, the, the pound for pound, best fighter, blah, blah, blah. He had all these accolades, multiple belts, and multiple uh, weight classes. And I think during a lot of that time, Tyson was on the sideline. So this guy had this career and you got to think that Tyson's got this little chip on his shoulder going, let me show you pound for pound.
5: Yeah. You know what I mean? And wants to take his head off. Absolutely. So, the eight-round eight exhibition was originally planned for September 12th. However, it was rescheduled for November 28th. And get this one. It's going to be at the Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, California. So, we'll okay. see how much Dignity. You have. Okay. <laughs> and uh, Wilder Fury 3 is in the works. Um, looks like, uh, according to Bob Aram from Top Rank Promotions, uh, December 19th, they're looking to have it in Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. Uh, they want ten to 15,000 fans, and with the size of that stadium, holds a about sixty-five thousand, they'll be able to properly social distance. So, looks like we may have a that may have that trilogy fight come uh, come to a head.
3: Well, there's no. I mean, there's no. I mean, that's fine that they're going to have it. But I mean, who thinks it's going to go any different than the other ones? I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's just just a money grab.
5: Come on. We'll see. Um, and uh, ESPN, Monday night, I have to comment one of our followers uh, when we had said that we had reached a million last night, um, Peter, Bonnie, Rizzo, I believe it's Peter and Bonnie Rizzo, said, you scored higher than Monday night football. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, not quite, Rigs. but uh,
3: yeah. yes, thank you. Yeah.
5: Um, Steelers over the Giants, 26-16. Quarterback Ben Roethlisberger was 21 for 32 on 229 yards with three touchdown passes. And a little story that actually was shared by uh, Mr. Nolan, our news guy, Um uh, Paul had sent me a story regarding uh, the Steelers all wearing the name Antoine Rose Jr. on the back of their helmets. Um, this was to honor, remember, the black teenager from Pittsburgh who was fatally shot in the, in the back by a white Pittsburgh police officer in 2018. Um, however, and hats off, pun intended, to left tackle Alejandro Villanueva, a former U.S. Army Ranger who had the name of Alwyn Cash, handwritten on the back of his helmet cash a black army veteran who was killed by an ied uh, that struck his vehicle in 2005 as he was on fire removing people from a car he saved three people and he was later awarded posthumously with the silver star for heroism so you know hats off to villain away of the tackle on pittsburgh for recognizing someone other than uh, you know uh, Antoine Rose and by the way that Pittsburgh police officer was later that, that was acquitted that, that that murder charge that was initially brought on.
3: Villanueva was the kid who came out by the way when the Steelers stayed in the locker room last year. He walked out onto the field, yep. stood yep. and put his hand over his heart for the uh, for the National Anthem. So he has a history of Well, not hating the country like the rest of them.
5: Yeah, and he's also somebody who served, and we know a lot of our veterans are very angry. I have a lot of good friends who are big fans in New York, season ticket holders, that were veterans, and they have walked away from the game. Uh, sadly Um, and and last but not least the uh, second game that was the Broncos uh, losing to the Titans 16-14 Denver head coach uh, Vic Fangiano set set there with three timeouts in his hands and didn't use them until there was two seconds to go so tough (laughs) tough start for Denver in mile high
3: he uh, went to the Mike McCarthy school of coaching so that's how you do it so
5: all right anything else in sports Rick That's a wrap. We got some NFL uh, TV ratings coming up in the second segment.
3: Okay, good. We hope they're about, you know, two. Well, Um, they're interesting.
5: Crazy Town, episode 114, speaking of sports. I went back, since I didn't watch any
3: football on Sunday at all, went back and tried to watch all the games, and I found one highlight that I thought was really the most representative highlight of what's going on right now in the world. Roll that, G. (laughs)
4: <laughs> Is that Joe? Go, Joe. Come <laughs>
3: fine. Go, Joe. Oh, there's Come on, President, Joe? President Xi, look out, uh, he might get you. Oh, look out, Joe. Yeah. Uh, Go, Joe. Go. Uh, uh, Bernie. Bernie movie almost movie. had him. Uh. Yeah, reminds me of that movie <laughs> Rudy. Remember that
5: movie Rudy years ago? <laughs> Is that <laughs> really? Is it,
4: that real? <laughs> Come on, please tell me that was really an ad. <laughs> <laughs>
3: So there you go. That's about as uh that's that's about as accurate a clip. That's about the only NFL that most people will want to watch. So I should probably put that clip clip up. Because that's about the only NFL that anybody wants to watch. So oh man, that's good there. So all right, uh any news here? You got a couple minutes before we hit the yeah, top you know, of the hour.
6: Um,
4: a little something in keeping with the sports theme of this uh of this break, uh talking about two high school football players suspended indefinitely for carrying thin blue line flags. Uh, When they ran onto the field, it's an insane double standard that is permeated from political discourse when it comes to corporations and schools. And now it continues. If you're someone who wants to kneel for the national anthem or wear a black lives matter sticker, you're part of the protected class, but if you decide you want to support the police or firefighters, on a, uh, especially on the anniversary of 9-11, you will end up suspended indefinitely from your high school.
3: Cut 23, G. Here is what we're talking about. This is the team running onto the field. Roll that. So, these kids right there, the three that were holding the flags, were suspended. Indefinitely. Indefinitely from this school, which I believe is called Little Miami High School. Yep, in Morrow, Ohio. They were suspended for bringing out the flags and waving them. What you see right there. Suspended. So I tweeted this out today and I said, every media outlet who has the opportunity, if I had a phone number, I swear I'd call this, this administration or this school district and ask them about it, as every media show, radio show, television show should, if they can. It is outrageous. from studio 6b on a tuesday night on america's voice dish network channel 219 pluto tv channel 240 and of course all your ott apps roku apple tv fire tv google tv all of them i believe america's voice um, released a new website and a new app so make sure you refresh your app download the new version if you uh, are so inclined you can watch all the old shows. Watch us live on the app as well. You can watch all the other shows. Steve Bannon's show in the morning. Raheem Kassam at 3 o'clock. Uh, Tudor uh, Dixon at, I believe now, 1 o'clock, 1 to 3 with Steve Gruber, America's Voice Live. That's great. So, I mean, it's just great stuff to watch and more great stuff to come. So make sure you download the app. Um, all right, we'll do more sports. And I have a new segment here on the show that I'm going to be debuting here tonight.
4: And what's it called?
3: Uh, it's, I'm not telling you, or, and I'm not telling you or Amirati what it's called. You'll have to wait and see it when we run it. Are you mad at us? Is that it? <clears throat> Anyways, uh, <laughs> we spoke to uh, Pastor Daryl Scott in the first hour, and his new book, Nothing to Lose, is out today. And we had a chance, not long enough, by the way, to talk to Pastor Daryl Scott, as I could talk to him all night. He was great, but his book's available, so go get it. Um, all right. Live from Studio 6B right now, it's time for what used to be one of my new. <laughs>
5: what even was that?
3: You know what it is? It is that well,
4: if you're not watching us in between on social media, you're missing some of the stuff that happens. Uh-huh. Something happened. Now he's mad.
3: I'm not mad. Never, I'm never mad. Um, it's time now for one of my new favorite segments here on the show. And that, of course, is Rick Delgado with what even is that?
4: All right, so I know we were just doing sports, uh, but I want to keep that that flow going, so let's totally start genuflexing and pandering with a hint of hypocrisy, and let's talk about our favorite woke warrior, and mine. No, not
3: him. God. boy.
4: Yes, him.
3: You see, recently,
4: LeBron James stated, and I quote, these are his words, we're literally hunted every time, every day, we step foot outside the comfort of our homes. Um, who's hunted? You? Are you talking about you, LeBron James? Is that you who's hunted? Really? And when you say the comfort of your homes, are you talking about mm, this home? Or maybe this home? Or maybe your most recent purchase, this $39 million home? I mean, really, what even is that? You know what that is? It's called being detached from reality. Want me to show you how I'm right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, good. I'm glad you asked. Uh here's the aforementioned LeBron James taking a knee as we've seen many times during the national anthem. Yeah, but but but, but, but what, what is that? What is that? Yeah, that. You know what that is? That's privilege. You see In the pampered world of the woke, multi-million dollar sports athlete today who fear for their lives because they're hunted when they leave their homes, their multi-million dollar mansions to be more precise, to make sure that they remain happy and pampered, they're supplied with thick pads to help keep their precious knees from ever touching that uncomfortable and dirty wood floor known as an NBA basketball court. You know... King Boo-Hoo over here would have you believe he's down with the struggle, but only as long as being down for that struggle doesn't include him having to be inconvenienced, uncomfortable, or touching anything at all. I mean, he might even get a little splinter. And how on earth are you supposed to outrun all those hunters if you have a boo-boo on your little knee, (laughs) (laughs) Wabuan? And why does the white guy have to use a towel? Is that racist? Yes. (laughs) Nah. Maybe. Now, is that also why you bought three homes in the same area to keep everyone guessing as to where you would be, you know, when it becomes LeBron season? And did you really feel hunted when you would, oh, I don't know, jump on your bike and ride through your upscale Miami neighborhood on your way to collect your 110 million four-year contract? You don't seem like a guy worrying about being hunted there, LeBron. What you do remind me of, though, is, I don't know, maybe an aging Hollywood star who goes to a local mall hoping someone will notice them.
5: Don't you know who I am?
4: Yes. Yes, we do know who you are, LeBron. And, and, and chances are we don't like you. And that doesn't have anything to do with your choice of eyewear. You know, those frames that you wear without glasses that kind of try to make you look smart. It's not working. Or, or whether you're in uniform or your pregame ladies suit with matching handbag. We just don't like you. <laughs> so next time you want to, you know, kind of talk about being hunted. Hey, ask these guys. Because this is what that looks like. Yeah. As for you, the only things you should be hunting for are maybe an education and better taste in clothing. I mean, come on, dude. That is a nice personal, but do they even sell men's clothes where you shop? <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rick Delgado uh. with what even is that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I kind of the point to your last point there is that um, LeBron James was able to go right from high school to the NBA because – yeah. Well, he was able to. He's privileged. Yeah.
4: He, the guy's been living in his own personal private bubble for about 20 years. When, when, you know, when, they, when superstar athletes are, are kind of cultivated, I should say, you know, when they're brought up through the ranks and people notice them and say, hey, this guy's, you know, they project them as to where they're going to go, uh, who's recruiting them, if they are even going to go to college. In his in his case, he went straight to the pros. He's been living in a bubble ever since. Yeah. And that comes with a certain amount of privilege. I don't, uh, I'm not saying he's not, he doesn't deserve it. I'm all for you take every single deal you can get, make as much money as you can get. I will never say someone doesn't deserve something because you get what you negotiate for. And the fact that he's been able to negotiate these big deals, hey, more power to you. But on the flip side of that, you know, when you're sitting there saying I'm down for the struggle, I need a pad for my knee. I I can't really bend and, and I want to hurt myself.
3: Yeah. Come on, dude. I saw that he was, uh, Rick Amarati sent me late last night an article. That he was challenged
5: by the, uh, I guess. Um, L.A. County uh, Sheriff's yeah. Office.
3: Yeah. Yeah. To, um, why don't you tweet out something about the two officers. Right. Who were viciously attacked in cold blood. An t- assassination attempt. Uh, I wonder if, uh, do we have any updates on if he's done that? No. no probably th- not. No.
5: I haven't heard anything. I know it was a bounty that the uh, sheriff's office said. You know, they, they raised a hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars reward for the uh, for the shooters, and now they had asked a, a Braun to double that, put that in for make it three fifty. So the sheriff put that that uh, challenge out there, so to speak, and uh, there hasn't been any response. Rick, I haven't heard anything. Have you? Yeah. No. Well, me I'm either. not. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Just, I, just
3: crickets. All right, G. Crickets. Twenty-six. Minister of Foreign Affairs of um, Bahrain spoke at the White House, and here's how that went today. Roll it, Mr. President. The First Lady,
7: Prime Minister, Your Highness, ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. Today, today is a truly historic occasion, a moment of hope and opportunity for all the peoples of the Middle East and in particular for the millions in our younger generations. The declaration supporting peace between the Kingdom of Bahrain and the State of Israel is an historic step on the road to genuine and lasting peace, security and prosperity across the region, and for all who live there, regardless of religion, sect, ethnicity, or ideology. For too long, the Middle East has been set back by conflict and mistrust, causing untold destruction and thwarting the potential of generations of our best and brightest young people. Now, I'm convinced we have the opportunity to change that. Today's declaration was made possible by the vision, courage, and commitment of His Majesty King Hamad bin Isa Al Khalifa, who, supported by, <laughs> supported by the people of Bahrain, has protected, institutionalized and enhanced Bahrain's centuries-old spirit of coexistence and harmony, and has the wisdom to recognize that genuine cooperation is the most effective means to achieve peace and to safeguard legitimate rights. Thank you, Your Majesty, for this vision of peace for the region based on trust respect, and understanding between all faiths, races, and nations. To our brothers in the United Arab Emirates, I congratulate you on your own momentous peace accord being signed today with Israel. His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed has shown great leadership and foresight to make peace possible and secure a brighter future for our region. for the State of Israel and Prime Minister Netanyahu. We welcome and appreciate these steps from you and your government, recognizing that enduring peace and security is only possible through a genuine engagement that protects the rights and interests of countries and peoples in the region. In particular, I want to express my deep appreciation to President Donald Trump. And his administration. Mr. President, your statesmanship and tireless efforts have brought us here today and made peace a reality. and to Secretary Pompeo, Senior Advisor Jared Kushner, and Special Representative Evi Bricovitz, who have and others, many others, who have carried out their mandates with dedication and skill. Ladies and gentlemen, today's agreement is an important first step, and it is now incumbent on us to work urgently and actively to bring about the lasting peace and security our peoples deserve. A just, comprehensive, and enduring two-state solution to the Palestinian-Israeli conflict will be the foundation, the bedrock of such peace. We have shown today We have shown today that such a path is possible, even realistic. What was only dreamed of a few years ago is now achievable. And we can see before us a golden opportunity for peace, security, and prosperity for our region. Let us, together and with our international partners, waste no
3: time in seizing it. Thank you. There you go. The Minister of Foreign Affairs for Bahrain today at the White House with the President. Um, A very significant day. Benjamin Netanyahu, I'll play him as well for you tonight. Plus our new segment coming up.
1: We're here this afternoon to change the course of history. After decades of division and conflict, we mark the dawn of a new Middle East. Together, these agreements will serve as the foundation for a comprehensive peace across the entire region, something which nobody thought was possible. For generations, the people of the Middle East have been held back by old conflicts, hostilities. These agreements prove that the nations of the region are breaking free from the failed approaches of the past. Today's signing sets history on a new course. Today, the world sees that they're choosing cooperation over conflict, friendship over enmity, prosperity over poverty, and hope over despair. They are choosing a future in which Arabs and Israelis, Muslims, Jews, and Christians can live together, pray together, and dream together side by side in harmony, community, and peace. Once again, let me congratulate the people of Israel, the people of the United Arab Emirates, and the people of the Kingdom of Bahrain. God bless you all. This is an incredible day for the world.
3: I live from Studio 6 b on a Tuesday night on America's Voice, Dish Network, Channel 219, Pluto TV, Channel 240, and, of course, all your OTT apps. And of course, on the America's Voice app, which I believe is a new one out today. So make sure you go download that as well. Let's do some news here with Rick Delgado. What's going on, pal? Uh,
4: well, jumping back to that story we touched upon at the end of Rick's uh, sports cast regarding those two students uh, that were suspended, the school had denied their request. Their names. Let me jump back to that. Let me. The two high school players. We showed the clip of them running out onto the field. Brady, a senior cor- cornerback whose father's a police officer, and Jared, whose father's a firefighter. They each carry the uh, thin red line flag and a thin blue line flag, and. And they were um, suspended from school for doing that, um, basically because the school had denied their request for the demonstration, citing that the flags were politically divisive and some might not want to agree with that message. And to that, you said what?
3: Anyone who doesn't agree with that message is an idiot and shouldn't even be allowed on school grounds, by the way.
4: So the kids were in their right to to run, right?
3: The the kids were within their right? Well, no, they weren't in their right because the school told them not to. But not- I, support, I support them breaking the rules in this case and, and doing it.
4: So you support them breaking the rules? I do, but that's not what you said the other day when well, I was no, talking I
3: to you I about the kid in William Floyd High School. Right, I don't support him. Who decided
4: he wanted to break the rules? Right,
3: he's an idiot um, by and going so to you. school when he was not by scheduled the way. to. <laughs> yes, he's an idiot, and so are you.
4: How is that so? Now, so, so you, you, there are certain rules that are okay is for me, any, but not any, for
3: me. Is there any news here to do? <laughs> any news? Yes. Or should I have Amirati do news?
5: <laughs> Did the kids get
3: unsuspended, though? The kids got unsuspended, yes. yes of course, they, because the school ups- district came to their senses and obviously realized that they were wrong, unlike the school in New York, who now has said, get out of here for the whole year and don't come back. And, that's- and we're sick of seeing you, and you don't represent, as Fran said, jumped in, as most so- people supported me and my position, that the school district kids now have also jumped to my position and said, Um, no, 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 this is not, this kid doesn't represent us as a whole and, uh, he's out of here. So,
4: so you're okay with certain rules being broken, but not, other rules being broken. Yes. I just want to make sure I'm clear yes. because I'm, I'm, I'm updating this this story of Maverick Stowe, seventeen of Mastic Beach, senior at William Floyd High School. Uh the school district where he tried to attend class in person was scheduled for remote learning. He went back. He was told he was not allowed on school grounds. He was therefore arrested. And according to the yes, letter good. his parents of the district, so was charged for his behavior on September 9th and 10th. And for disobeying and defying lawful authority of the school personnel.
3: Yes, correct. Now
4: it turns out he's been suspended for the entire year. Yeah, I wonder why. Basically, so what, you're saying, you're, what you're saying is zero tolerance.
3: I said, maybe you're not listening. I said, I wonder why. Why don't you try to answer the question? You well, like I'm, a, I'm, trying, like I'm, try, I'm
4: trying to figure out which side of the coin here. Don't there man, are, doesn't there matter are certain what side rules, coin, on. which rules... Are, are the ones that the kids should abide by, and which rules are the ones that they can break that you're okay with? I'm just trying to find out.
3: Well, I told you. I don't know. You're not listening to me. No, I am. Well, then what's, your que- what's the question? So are you
4: saying that if they tell you not to run onto a field with a flag that rule, they should just kind of put that to the side no matter who tells them, even if it's the same officials that would say this is your scheduled learning day?
3: Given the circumstances of that, What yes. circumstance? The Of, of their, who their fathers are, what, they, what the day it was. Why, d- why does that what matter? What they were celebrating, though? yes.
4: It, isn't it about that listening
3: rule, to authority? Kind of like you do in the news is pathetic, so <laughs> I would say yes. I wouldn't listen to either one it, of them. Isn't that, isn't that
4: kind of what you're saying, though? You, kid, you need to listen to authority.
3: The kid coming to school on the Variety. day there's no it's like apples and grapefruits that you're trying to compare here no, doing not. and by the way doing this was a all done of it. this was all done on school grounds the kid coming to school on the day he's not supposed to is not comparable to a kid whose father is a policeman on 9-11 saying i'm going to run out with the flag that's just not even comparable
4: well so. we're not comparing the acts we're, we're comparing them breaking the rules
3: and the rules. The la- let me ask for the last time before I have Frank cut <laughs> your mic off. Is there any other news? Yes, there's a ton of other news. Okay, we'll do you want to
4: get to it? All right, let's jump to this one. Talk about a little bit of a minority report. Uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, police shutting down rioters with proactive policing. Now, what does that mean? Uh, let's jump. As previously reported, there was an officer-involved shooting in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, last Sunday that occurred when a knife-wielding 27-year-old Richard Munoz, Munoz, I should say, charged a Lancaster City police officer. Violent rioters took to the street not long after fires were started, bricks were thrown, and uh, fireworks were sent off. Uh, Monday night, however, was a much different story, according to local reports and others on the scene. And that was largely thanks to a combination of what they called proactive policing from law enforcement and actions from local officials that effectively deterred another night of violence before it could get started. So what does that look like? It turns out that they uh, went around and they started showing a larger presence, which means they were out and active within the community. And uh, unlike Portland, there was no catch and release. They actually made sure that they were proactive. They set bails extremely high for rioters, and anyone who broke the law was actually arrested and held as well.
3: Yeah, so in other words, um, swift response, harsh penalties, bail set at a million bucks, and guess what? There was no more rioting. That's, that's basically how it should have worked all over the place.
4: Right, and that's what's something uh, President Trump has talked about when he talks about, you know, all you got to do is call me, I'll send in the National Guard, and we'll get this taken care of.
3: All right, it's time for a new. Do I have time for this, G? I don't time know. for a new. Yes, new segment here on the show. Uh, Joe Biden was out campaigning today, and uh, this is episode one here of "Is This English?"
0: Because if you could take care, if you were a quartermaster. You can sure and help take care of running a you know department store uh, thing. You know where. <laughs> and the second floor of the ladies department or whatever, you know what I mean?
3: <laughs> All right, there you go. Episode one of, is this English? And uh, you probably, that's not going to do it. it, it that you're going to need more than one time. So one more time, G, let's run it and then we'll freeze frame it. So before we go to the break, the audience has a chance to try to figure out, is this English? Roll it.
0: If you could take care if you were a quartermaster, you can sure and help take care of running a you know department store uh thing you know where in the second floor of the ladies' department
3: right? you know what i mean <laughs> okay so um so there it is there on your screen. I won't even attempt to try to read it. how that even can come out is um It was english i'm almost convinced that it is english but i don't think it's i guess maybe the segment should be called is this proper english but is this english so we'll let the audience um weigh in on that here during the break
7: He went,
0: he went, he became president. I didn't go, and I'm still vice president. And, uh, and in addition to that, uh, in addition to that, we have to uh, make sure that we, uh, we are in a position that we are... Think about it. Everybody is known from day one how smart, how bright Hillary is. Everybody knows how tough she is. You know, the rapidly rising uh, um, uh, in with uh, with uh, I don't know. uh, So be successful. I sincerely hope some of you become millionaires and billionaires. I mean that. But engage, Um, you know, there's a uh, during World War too, uh, you know, where Roosevelt came up with a thing uh, that, uh, you know, was totally different than a, than the, the, it's called, he called it the, you know.
3: Live from Studio 6 B on a Tuesday night on America's Voice, there's uh, Joe Biden. What's happened between even four or five years ago till now, it's, 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 the, the, the difference is stunning. Of course, the media ignores it, the Democrats ignore it, but uh, you, the people, and anyone with an IQ higher than three, uh, so Delgado might not get it, but you um, oh, wow. can notice the difference. <laughs> so a couple of things I want to get to. Joe Biden went to Florida today, and um, here's how he was um, greeted. Cut 24G, roll that. <laughs> <laughs> So he's, uh, yeah, a bunch, of Trump, a bunch of Trump supporters lining the street. Um, not nearly as many as if the president was there, obviously, but that's more than Joe's ever seen, I can tell you that. That is more people than Joe's ever seen on the street coming in. So um, that's one. And one other thing here, before I get to Benjamin Netanyahu today, whose comments were brilliant. Um Talking about this peace deal and the part of it being and what the, the president just holding up and keeping his promises, especially at the embassy. Let's remember here, 2022 20, uh, G, all the experts in the media, all the, the Middle East experts on CNN and MSNBC talking about moving the embassy and what would happen. Roll that.
6: The President Trump's big decision to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel mm. and one that Palestinians and others say could destroy hopes of Middle mm. East peace once and for all.
3: The president's unilateral action will get people killed. How hot will it get? And how destabilizing will it be? What he has wow.
0: done is thrown a diplomatic bomb into the Middle East peace process.
3: Oh. They're not interested in
0: history. They don't, they don't know history. That would then no, embarrass yeah. all the Sunni Arab regimes. Ooh, they freedom. would have to do something, enormously complicating, by the way, Israel's relations with them. It's going to stop any hope of Middle East uh, progress in the peace talks. This kind of uh, policy, unilateral decision, will basically wreck the Middle East. Despite warnings from Turkey's
4: President Erdogan, the kings of Jordan and Saudi Arabia, and all of America's NATO allies, that this could kill hopes for Middle East peace.
2: You'd have an explosion,
3: an absolute explosion in the region. <laughs> 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 yeah, so we <laughs> want wow. a bunch of geniuses. The Lincoln Project.
4: Think about all those quote-unquote experts.
3: Yes. Weighing so, in. So brilliant, all of them. Uh, well, here's Benjamin Netanyahu today, and it's a little long, but I thought his, his comments were just absolutely
2: brilliant. Roll it, G. Our dear friend, President Trump, First Lady Melania Trump, thank you for hosting me, my wife Sarah, and our entire delegation on this historic day. I want to recognize Vice President Pence, Secretary Pompeo, National Security Advisor O'Brien, and other Cabinet members, Jared Kushner, Avi Berkowitz, Ambassador Friedman, and other members of the President's Able Peace Team, senators, members of Congress, Israeli Ambassador Ron Dermer, his Emirate and Bahraini counterparts, as well as all the dignitaries gathered here on this sunny day. I want to uh, also express my gratitude for all the Israelis who've worked for years, uh, sometimes in less sunny climes, to bring this date. And I thank each and every one of you. you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. President, this day is a pivot of history. It heralds a new dawn of peace. For thousands of years, the Jewish people have prayed for peace. For decades, the Jewish state has prayed for peace. And this is why today we're filled with such profound gratitude. I am grateful to you, President Trump, for your decisive leadership. You have unequivocally stood by Israel's side. You have boldly confronted the tyrants of Tehran. You've proposed a realistic vision for peace between Israel and the Palestinians. And you have successfully brokered the historic peace that we are signing today, a peace that has brought support in Israel, in America, in the Middle East, indeed, in the entire world. I am grateful to Crown Prince Mohammed bin Zayed of the United Arab Emirates and to you, Foreign Minister Abdullah bin Zayed. I thank you both for your wise leadership and for working with the United States and Israel to expand the circle of peace. I am grateful. I am grateful to King Hamad of Bahrain and to you, Foreign Minister Abdul Latif al-Zayani, for joining us, joining us in bringing hope to all the children of Abraham. To all of Israel's friends in the Middle East, those who are with us today and those who will join us tomorrow i say assalamu alaikum peace unto thee shalom and you have heard from the president that he is already lining up more and more countries this is unimaginable a few years ago but with resolve determination, a fresh look at the way peace is done. This is being achieved. Thank you, Mr. President. Ladies and gentlemen, the people of Israel well know the price of war. I know the price of war. I was wounded in battle. A fellow soldier, a very close friend of mine, died in my arms. My brother Yoni lost his life while leading his soldiers to rescue hostages held by terrorists at Antebe. My parents' grief over the loss of Yoni was unrelieved until their dying day. And over the years, when I've come to console the families of Israel's fallen soldiers and victims of terror, I have seen that same grief countless times. And this is why I am so deeply moved to be here today. For those who bear the wounds of war cherish the blessings of peace. and the blessings of the peace we make today will be enormous. First, because this peace will eventually expand to include other Arab states and ultimately, it can end the Arab-Israeli conflict once and for all. Second, because the great economic benefits of our partnership will be felt throughout our region, and they will reach every one of our citizens. And third, because this is not only a peace between leaders, it's a peace between peoples. Israelis, Emiratis, and Bahrainis are already embracing one another. We are eager to invest in a future of partnership, prosperity, and peace. We've already begun to cooperate on combating corona, and I'm sure that together we can find solutions to many of the problems that afflict our region and beyond. So, despite the many challenges and hardships that we all face, despite all that, let us pause for a moment to appreciate this remarkable day Let us rise above any political divide. Let us put all cynicism aside. Let us feel, on this day, the pulse of history. For long after the pandemic is gone, the peace we make today will endure. Ladies and gentlemen, I have devoted my life to securing Israel's place among the nations to ensure the future of the one and only Jewish state. To accomplish that goal, I work to make Israel strong, very strong, for history has taught us that strength brings security, strength brings allies, and ultimately, and this is something President Trump has said again and again, ultimately, strength brings peace. King David expressed this basic truth thousands of years ago in our eternal capital, Jerusalem. His prayer, immortalized in the book of Psalms in the Bible, echoes from our glorious past and guides us towards a brilliant future. Adonai oz le'amo yiten, Adonai yevarech etamo b'shalom. May God give strength to his people May God bless his people with peace. Mr. President, distinguished guests, this week is Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. And what a blessing we bring to this new year. A blessing of friendship, a blessing of hope, a blessing of peace. Thank you.
3: Yeah. There's uh, B.B. today, so I thought that was fabulous. So just to put a bow on this, uh, one of the great websites, if you don't have a bookmark, you should, is Human Events. And uh, there's an article about this in there today, and it closes art- – I won't, can't read the whole thing, but it closes by saying, The Trump administration's maximum pressure campaign against Iran has overwhelmingly relied on the exercise of U.S. hard power, in particular sanctions and occasional military action. However, the White House is pursuing a more balanced and ultimately more effective approach based on strategic maneuvering instead of direct action against Iran. The swift normalization of relations between Israel and the Arab states will deepen economic, cultural, and political independence in the Middle East, making it harder for Iran to achieve its regional objectives by taking advantage of uh, Israel-Arab divisions. Live from Studio 6B, more to do. Sports, a little more news when we get back. Wrap it up on America's Voice right after this. Studio 6P on a Tuesday night. Glad you joined us. Pastor Daryl Scott joined us at the first hour. His book is out today. Uh, nothing to lose. And uh, it's great. From what I've read so far, and Pastor Scott was great tonight on the show. Talks about his relationship with the president, how he got involved, all kinds of great stuff. It's available on Amazon right now. We'll link to it on our social sites. I encourage you to uh, go out and get it and give it It's an easy read. So go get it. Um, all right, let's do some sports here. Rick Emirati, what's going on, pal? Okay, what's the score a hockey
5: game? Yeah, NHL Eastern Conference Finals, one-one after two periods. Victor Hedman evened it up for the Tampa Lightning with a goal late in the first, in the second, and uh, it's one-one. Islanders are trying to stave off elimination. They're down three to one, and they must continue to win, or Paul Nolan's gonna have the big one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll see what happens there. NBA Eastern Conference Finals, Game One, thriller in overtime. Miami Heat one over the Boston Celtics, 114. Miami is now up one game to none. And Game 7, big Game 7, uh, Western Conference Finals. The LA Clippers lead the Denver Nuggets right now. Um, actually, it's tied 24-24, so we'll see what happens there. Um, NFL week, week 1 ratings in decline, culminating on Monday Night Football. Oh, darn. Yeah. Well, let me get through this whole story here because there's a little bit of a silver lining for NFL here. According to Show Buzz Daily, the doubleheader on Monday night represented a major downtick in viewership from the same time slots a season ago. Steelers at Giants. This game drew 10.8 million viewers on ESPN, down 21% from the earlier open, uh, game opener during week one of the 2019 season. And Good. get this one. Titans at at Broncos drew 7.7 million viewers, down a whopping 38% from the late game last year. Good. Um, This comes after Sunday Night Football, where the Dallas Cowboys and Rams was down 16% over last year's uh, Sunday Night Opener. Um, And then you had the big game.
3: I think it was down more than that. The Daily Caller article I said yesterday was
5: more like 28. I got 16% USA Today, so I'm not sure. (laughs) USA Today is not believable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, New Orleans Saints, that game, however, that was the big massive audience that did come out. According to Nielsen Media Research, 25.85 million, an increase of 7% from last season's game in the same slot. That's the uh, you know NFL game of the week on Fox. So that was up a little bit. Um, however, CBS Sports, they are down um, 12% with their games, their afternoon games for that Good. week. Of course, you had Jets playing Buffalo, so you know nobody's going to watch that. It'll um, be
3: the no-fans league pretty soon they keep this nonsense up Um, you know what's amazing which which really at this point i don't even know how they backtrack right
4: well what's amazing about these numbers though i mean when you think about it think about all the fans that didn't go to games because you can't go to games or they only let you know a small percentage of people watch in person you would think those people would be watching in droves they're not so those numbers are actually I would think, are even more down than they, they would have expected a bump because nobody's at the games. You know I can what I mean? tell
3: you, if those if those stadiums were full of 50,000, 60,000 people, there would have been 50,000, 60,000 people booing the hell out of those <laughs> right off the field.
5: Yeah, well, Kansas City, they booed the heck out of them um, for that you know when that opening night last Thursday night yeah. when yeah. they did that national anthem. they Yeah, in
3: J- the mo- moment of unity, J.J. Watt. I don't really get it. Yeah, well, we know you don't. Right. I mean, you, one of these days, you will. But we know you don't get it yet.
5: Yep. Um, so most of LSU's football team allegedly already has contracted the uh, coronavirus. LSU, LSU Tigers head coach Ed Orgen, uh revealed surprising news about the defending national champions today. Um, as Alex Scarborough of ESPN noted, Orgeron told reporters that most of his players have already caught the coronavirus. Well, Not talk, all our players, but yeah. most of our players have caught it. Yeah.
3: We talked about this yeah. on the show, that Clemson and LSU and some other teams yeah. were and Alabama just let, letting it yeah. run letting it run the locker room. Now, I mean, I don't know if that's exactly true.
5: Yeah. But uh, so the coach said most of the players have had it. Yep. He went on record today saying that Big D. He said, hopefully that once you catch it, uh, you don't get it again. And he said, I'm not a doctor. I think they have that 90-day window, which they do. They have a 90-day window, so they have to retest. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, how they, many they, of them went to the hospital? Do we know? Yeah. We don't, we don't have that report. I'm sure none. I'll uh, say zero. Right. Yeah, because or else we would have
4: heard about it. Yeah, how
3: could, many of them even knew they had it?
5: Yeah. Maybe 50%. Yep. If that. Yep. And uh, LSU is opening up against Mississippi State on September 26th. Okay. Hey, Big D. Um, didn't you say we weren't going to have college football this year? <laughs> I, d- I did, yes. Was there some kind of money involved in that one, too? <laughs> Something about
4: <laughs> the Benjamins? I do remember somebody I'm, flipping uh, Benjamins well, we, around like that. We've
5: yes. already
3: discussed this that Paul won that one as he lost the Kamala Harris VP pick. We've, uh, I mean,.
5: Oh, okay. I yes, thought we were all in on we've that We've already bet. cleared that up. Okay. I, I didn't know if I, if we were all in on that bet. No,
3: no. I don't, <laughs> think, I don't think so. You wussies weren't interested in putting <laughs> oh, no. 10 to 1 up, if I remember, on $100. So
5: <laughs> Could be. Just wanted to clarify. Uh, just a couple of more things before I wrap up sports. Giants-Mariners game was postponed tonight due to air quality concerns, obviously with the big fires. I'm
3: glad, though. Let me just interrupt here, Rick, since I can, since it's, well, oh, my show. Uh, that you and Delgado are feeling nice and frisky tonight about this. It's good, though. I like it. I like it. And by next week, you'll be doing sports, and he'll be proving his points on maybe his show. How's that
5: sound? <laughs> no, no, no. D, we love you. You know, you take great care of us. But we just, you know, i just wanted to clarify. I'm just kidding. I was told no college football. <laughs> Lighten up, would you please? Hey.
3: All right, what else? I know, it's your show. But, but
4: you know what's uh, funny, though? He did try and get in on that bet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he was kind of going, hey, wasn't I in uh, on that? I yeah. like, no. Yeah, yeah, speak,
5: sure. Speaking of lightening up, not. Mike Ditka was a guest on Newsmax, and he delivered exactly what the program expected, telling NFL players, if you can't respect this country, Get the hell out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mike went on to say, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but football. Football's football. It's not a complicated thing, the Hall of Famer said. He said, you're playing the game. You're enjoying the game. You don't like the game? Get out of it. He says, it's not for protesting one way or the other what color you are, what you think, this or that. You play football. You've been blessed with the God. God gave you the, the, the blessings of a body to play football. You don't like it? Move to another country. Don't play our game. And Mike Ditka is a legendary Hall of Famer coach and uh, not somebody you'd want to get into an argument with, even at his ripe old age of some 78, 78, 9 years old.
3: Yeah, you don't have to. Um, wonder at all where the coach has fallen. He'll 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 tell you. Yeah, he's hardcore. Kind of like the president, by the way. There's no there's no guessing. Yep, as Pastor Scott said, he's kind of tells you he's the same. It's pretty funny to hear him say Barack Obama is just a empty suit, f- gold plated phony. Not like not like we didn't know, but just to hear it from someone who's been closer to him than most people are, obviously, say it is confirmation of what we already know. And the and on the flip side, the president. It's kind of you see what you get what you see and you see what you get and that's kind of what it is.
4: Yeah, but but he even admitted he was blown away at his first meeting with him. And, and you know you would think oh it's probably recent. No, this is eight years ago. He's talking about twenty twelve, twenty twelve, twenty eleven, something like that.
3: I think it was even earlier than that. He said yeah. two thousand nine. I thought he said
4: yeah because he was thinking about running the first
5: time. Yeah. All right. What else, Rick? Big D. I'm going to put the show back to you, buddy. <laughs> Thanks. That's a wrap. <laughs> Okay, very good. Um, (laughs) He's letting you have your show back. Yes,
3: thank you very much. One other (laughs) thing that happened today on television that was uh, pretty riveting, cut 20, G.,
5: uh, fire that up. <laughs> you know, he's gotten the way between you and, I think, Secretary Mnuchin. Yeah. I mean, what deal can we have at Crazy Nancy? I'm sorry. I said, that was the president. I, I, I have such reverence for the office. I would never use that term. But it is hard. But you hard, just did. <laughs> oh, but you just did. You know what I mean. You know I know what mean. I mean. The I reverence I, I have do. for the office <clears throat> is so great that I think it's a travesty to ever call. Oh, yeah. Up here,
0: he's
4: uh,
6: trying. Well, you know what, the, the, the the, let, let me just say this. Anything the president no, says I remember, I remember, I remember. is a projection of his own insecurities. Yeah. He calls other people crazy because he knows he is. He calls, uh, <sighs> he's, he complains about this, that, and the other thing because he knows his own shortcomings. He's a master of projection. Yeah. So anytime he says something, you say, uh-oh, that's what he's thinking of himself. <laughs>
3: He's only making a projection, don't you know? Uh. As always, we salute our military, active and active police, firefighters, first responders, EMTs. Thanks, everybody on the show. Thanks, Gio. Thanks, Brand. Thanks, America's Voice. Thanks to Pastor Darrell Scott. Go get his book. It's available now. We'll see you tomorrow night on America's Voice, 8 p.m., live from Studio 6B. See you then.